listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn in your Bibles tonight once more to Haggai and the second chapter of, of Haggai. I'm going to read tonight from the verse number 20, looking at these last uh, four verses. We will be referring back to verses 10 and following. I suppose on reflection, feel it may have been, it may have been useful to have included these last four verses in the last message. Uh, there's such a very close connection between what we see in verses 20 through 23 and what we noted in verses 10 through to 19. You will note in verse number 10, that is the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. And then in verse 20, and again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month. So we're looking at two words from the Lord through Haggai on the same day. And immediately you must see, well, what is the connection? There must be some significance here. And the Lord would bring a word twice on the one day through Haggai the prophet. Well, what is that word? Verse number 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. The promise at the end of verse number 19 certainly should captivate the soul and the heart of the child of God. From this day will I bless you. Uh, this section is all about the promise of God to bring blessing. And any child of God, uh, they desire the blessing of God in their, in their lives. And we saw last time we were in these, in these verses that the blessings, particularly in view here in Haggai chapter 2, are the covenantal blessings promised to Abraham and to his people concerning the land. Uh, this is all about covenantal restoration. You think of the warnings of Deuteronomy. You have the, the threatenings if you disobey. You'll go off to a strange land as a captive. But if you repent, there's restoration that comes. And in that restoration, there is a promise of blessing. And so here, here's the promise of blessing. Now these blessings to Abraham, they find their counterpart in the spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ under the terms of the new covenant. You've got to join the Bible together in your minds so that you properly understand the old covenant so you don't expect the same things necessarily, but also you see the greater promises of the new covenant and so when you read in Acts chapter 3, unto you first God, referring to the Jews, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Well, that blessing is now defined in turning every, oh, sorry, turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And so in the gospel preached to the Jews in the early days after Pentecost, there is the, the reminder of them that the blessings they're going to enjoy now are not so much about physical blessings of land and harvest, 
But the blessings of Jeremiah, the blessings of their sins and their iniquities, will I remember no more. And so immediately in the early days of the New Testament gospel church, there is this moving away from the physical blessings to highlight those spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And so in Galatians chapter 3, we read that Christ died, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. The Gentiles now and gathered, but into that same blessing. And to the Gentile nations, they are not promised these, these land and harvest blessings. These are the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. So how do we understand this matter of blessings? Well, in the Old Covenant, the blessings were primarily physical, but they pointed forward in a spiritual direction. Those physical blessings, pointing forward to spiritual, were secured by obedience. In the New Covenant, they are spiritual blessings are highlight, highlighted, but those spiritual blessings, they do await a physical blessing. There is a land promise in the New Covenant. It is the promise of the new heavens and the earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. But the pathway to those physical blessings are through the spiritual blessings of sins forgiven, of our justification in Christ alone. Those blessings are also secured by obedience, but not by our obedience, but by Christ's. And so Christ is the one who fulfills the types and shadows of the Old Covenant, securing all blessings through his obedience as the greater son of Israel, as the ultimate Israelite, the one who keeps the covenantal challenges and obligations. And so the blessings, as we look at this in Haggai chapter 2, these blessings, they're going to they're point us forward. We're going to look towards Christ. And they're blessings that we should greatly covet. So how, how were these blessings brought about? What does Haggai teach us regarding the, uh, the development of this to the point whereby he says, from this day will I bless you. Well, let me very quickly recap what we saw a couple of weeks ago regarding verses 10 uh, through to the verse number 19. First of all, there was the need for the recognition of their sin. That was what we looked at in verses 11 uh, through to 13. I'm not going back over this matter, but there was this issue of contact with that which is clean and that which is holy. And we came to the conclusion, we noticed, that in essence the people had returned to the land. The work had commenced, then stopped, now recommenced, but even with the work having recommenced, the blessing was still withheld. And the question is properly asked, well, why was God withholding the blessing? Why was the blessing not already upon the people? They had heard the word of God, they began to work again, but still, still there is not blessing. They're still waiting. From this day will I bless you. Well, the reason is because the people's sin was corrupting their work for God. Their work, their works of righteousness did not make them clean. Rather, their unrighteousness corrupted the work. And that's the reference to if things touch this or that, shall it be holy? No. But if it touches the unclean, shall it be unclean? It shall be. And so we saw in Zechariah that what happened was the people had come back to the land but they had not returned to God with all of their hearts. They were working in the things of God, but there was still the matter that their hearts were not sold out in the business of the kingdom. We noticed in 2 Timothy chapter 2, there is the application of that principle that if a man is to be suitable, useful for the master's use, he must purge himself from sin and be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. 
meat for the master's use. It's important that we remember our obligation to be holy in the Lord's work. Holy H-O-L-Y and holy W-H-O-L-L-Y in the Lord's work. That we are wholehearted and we are sanctified in the Lord's work. Just because we are busy in the kingdom does not bring blessing if our hearts are distracted and not burdened for the glory of God. The work of God can become routine. It can become a matter of our habit. We do it because we've always done it. We do it because we think we should do it. But ultimately, we are not burdened for the glory of God. And if you like, we're back to work. But our hearts haven't come with us yet. Our hands are there. Our feet are there. There's, there's activity in the Lord's work. But hi, we need the Lord to touch our hearts so we'd recognize our sin. We're often so tainted with idolatry that we forget we're here about the Lord's business. We need to pray over these things. We're also to remember our sorrows. That was verse 15 and following. I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple, since those days where... And then he discusses the lack of prosperity. And the language of verse 16 corresponds to what we saw in chapter 1. Great industry. Much effort, but the returns are unexpectedly low. They look for 20 measures, but there's 10. They come to the press fat, they expect to write 50, but there is but 20. And the reason is given, verse 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with heal in all the labors of your hands. Yet you returned not to me, saith the Lord. That's referring back to chapter 1. In a sense, they, they, they did go back to work. They recommenced the building, Ezra chapter 5. But there's still this issue. And God is chastening them for the lack of industry in the things of God. What's their prophet saying? Now, what he's saying, in, in this day of blessing, they're, they're going to know blessedness now. But in that day of blessing, do not forget your past sorrows under the chastening hand of God. Don't forget how God dealt with you in the past. That is used to encourage the people to press on in the fear of God. Now, they would remember that when they were not wholehearted behind the Lord's work, chastening came. And so now they're going to know blessedness. But in those days of blessedness, do not forget your obligation to persevere in obedience. To enjoy the blessing of God, we must remember to walk in the fear of God. We saw this in the past Lord's Day. Uh, we are really obligated to live in the fear of God day by day. To live knowing that He, he sees and hears and that our burden is that we would enjoy his smile, we'd fear his frown, we want his good pleasure upon our work, remembering that God chastises disobedience and negligence and withholds his blessing. There are different seasons in the Lord's work. During times of spiritual chastening, it is our duty to seek God in repentance. These days, perhaps, are days of little growth compared with much toil. And so where is our heart? What about our holiness? We've got to search ourselves, examine our souls. But then in days of blessing, 
We must ensure that we obey in perseverance, that we don't grow complacent, but we keep on pressing on. And so, Haggai is here pointing us in the direction of blessedness, reminding us again to recognize our sin, to remember our sorrows, and to understand again the requirement for the supernatural. We saw this also, verse number 18, Consider now from this day and upward, even the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. And he's going to say, From this day will I bless you. The reminder being, it is the blessing of God that brings the fruitfulness. We are responsible for our sin. We're responsible to be sanctified. We are responsible to sow, but only God brings the blessing, His sovereignty. The sovereignty of God and the blessing. You think of the words of God to the people in Malachi's day. He says to them, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So that's the setting. And as I said to you, the connection of verse 20 through 23 is so close that you cannot grasp verse 20 and following without reminding yourself about those lessons in the previous section. The same time, the same day, the word of the Lord comes again to Haggai and brings a word to Zerubbabel. And in essence, what is happening here is the Lord is confirming his promise. He says, I'm going to bless you, and here's their confidence. Here's the assurance that my word will indeed come to pass. The same day that the Lord promises blessing, he brings words of reassurance to Zerubbabel. Remember Zerubbabel? He, along with Nehemiah and Ezra, they are the three leaders that are dominating in the bringing back of the people from captivity. And that is Zerubbabel, and I receive this word of encouragement from the Lord. Two things. He receives a word regarding God's sovereign power. Look what it says, verse 21. I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses, the riders, shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. Here's a promise regarding God's sovereign power. He shall shake the heavens and the earth. We saw similar language back in chapter 2, verse number 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. What's, what's it mean when it says God's going to shake the heavens and the earth? If you took this in a strictly literal sense, you may believe that it's to do with forces in the natural world, that there's going to be earthquakes and tumults and all the rest. It's about a, it's about a physical shaking of the heavens and the earth. But I don't think that does justice to either this passage or to others. This is a metaphorical language. This is metaphor. It is describing what God is going to do in the world. You go back to Isaiah chapter 13. I just want to show you the usage of this language, where I say we're going to end up looking at four passages in total regarding shaking the heavens and the earth. There is the one in Haggai. I'm going to show you two now, and then I'll show you one uh, later on in the message. But in Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah 13 and the verse number 13, 
Therefore will I shake the heavens and the earth, shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. And what's the setting here? It is the judgment of God to Babylon. And so as God brings down a nation, he describes that activity of bringing down a nation in the language of shaking the heavens and the earth. And Babylon shall be as a chaste roe, verse 14, and as a sheep that no man taketh up. God's going to bring judgment upon Babylon. And he used the language of shaking the heavens and the earth. Then you've got Ezekiel chapter 31. Ezekiel 31, and this time it's not Babylon. This time it's referring to the judgment of the Assyrians. And Ezekiel 31, verse number 16, I made the heavens to shake at the sound of his fall. When I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. See, again, this is the context of judgment. Judgment brought upon the Assyrians, the Assyrians' greatness, but a subsequent fall, and in their fall, the nation shake. So what does that mean with regards to the word to Zerubbabel? Well, in essence, it means that God is going to bring political and national upheaval. It's an assertion of God's sovereign power that he is in the throne over all the nations of this world. A nation will fight nation. Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks and then the Romans all will come and go in the years up to and surrounding Christ's coming. And in it all, God is in the throne. So back in chapter 2, verse number 6, Yet once I will shake the heavens and the earth, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. We looked look at those verses. It's a reference to the Messiah's coming. So God is going to take the nations in his hands, if you like, and shake them up in such a way as to set the scene for Christ to come into the world. He's fulfilling his purpose. And the shaking is seen in that the nations are in an uproar in the hands of God. Not peace, not stability, but being shaken in God's mighty hands as God shakes them to bring about his purpose. It's an assurance and a promise of God's almighty sovereign power over the nations. And as he does so, he has his eye upon his people and that to bless them. From this day will I bless you. And as I bless you, I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to set the scene for Messiah to come. That's his purpose. That's what he's going to do in order to bless the people. How does the blessing of Abraham come? Through Christ his seed. What is the blessing of Abraham? It is the gospel. It is forgiveness of sins. How does that come about? By Messiah coming. And so you have the tremendous assurance in all of the chaos of Haggai's day and in the years that follow, God is at work setting the scene for Messiah. That is thrilling. It ought to have been thrilling to the people in Haggai's day and it should still greatly encourage our hearts. As God shakes the nation, he has his eye upon his people. And he has his hand. He has his hand upon his purpose. He is doing his good will. So you see God's sovereign power. 
And secondly, the word is an encouragement by seeing God's sovereign purpose. Verse number 23. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts. Now remember this reference, in that day, can be a very general term. It begins at a day. It's a day that is, a, is marking God's timing. It's God's day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. He's doing God's sovereign purpose. I said I'd refer to one other text. It is Joel chapter 3 and the verse number 16 where it says this, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. As he shakes the heavens, the Lord is going to be the hope and the strength of his people. And so what you see here is that Zerubbabel will be used of God. In these early years of the restoration after the captivity, Zerubbabel is being used of God. He is the elect one. I have chosen thee, saith the Lord, undeserved, chosen to serve in God's purposes, chosen to be God's servant. The reference here to a signet, and will make thee as a signet. Well, this simile that is used here is very significant. Even today, people talk about having a signet ring, a ring perhaps that has their initials on it. Well, what you see here is perhaps it was a ring or it may have been uh, some sort of chain or something that was used and it had a raised marking on it that was then used to be an imprint upon a seal. And so the signet was used to convey the king's instructions. The king makes instructions and the signet ring or chain is used to impress his, his signature, if you like, upon the, uh, the instructions. And so Zerubbabel is, it is God's signet. It is an indication that Zerubbabel is called to do the will of God. He is the chosen agent to execute the will of the Lord. Zerubbabel, you are my servant, my signet. You'll be my agent to do my will. He's shaking the nations. He's going to bless the people. And he's appointing Zerubbabel to be part of that process. But what I think we see here is we do not simply see Zerubbabel, but we see Christ again. We see in Zerubbabel appointing forward to Christ. For the nations will be in an uproar. There's going to be turmoil. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greek, Rome. Those nations are going to come and they're going to fall. And Christ comes. And if you know your genealogies, Christ comes in the line of Zerubbabel. He comes as a son of Zerubbabel. And as we often think of Christ as David's greater son, he's also Zerubbabel's greater son. He is the ultimate signet. He is the chosen, elect agent of God's sovereign will. He is God's servant, God's signet, bringing God's will to pass. He is the suffering servant of Jehovah, and the will of God is done, and the people of God are blessed. But what about today? Is there anything further for us to see? Is this all simply encouraging us, looking back to what God did in the past? Well, why don't you turn to Matthew 24? This will close. 
Because what we see here, I believe, in Haggai is a foreshadowing even of our day. In Haggai, or sorry, Matthew chapter 24, in the Olivet Discourse, you have this language. Verse number 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. There is the continuing shaking of the earth in the hand of God. We do not live in days of national peace. World wars, one after the other, turmoil in nations across the world continually. There is no stopping of the conflict in this world. And in such times, we have the words in verse number 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. God is still shaking kingdoms in his hand. And he's doing so still with the same sovereign power and wisdom of the days of Haggai. He's no less wise and he's no less powerful. And he still has his eye upon his people to bless them. And he still has his hand upon his purpose to fulfill all his goodwill. So as we live today, we're living on this world, conscious that God has this world in his hands. We used to sing that song as a child. He's got the whole world in his hands. And we kind of had the thought of God upholding the nations. But as he upholds the nations, he gives them a good shake. Nations rise and nations fall. And through it all, the kingdom of Messiah reigns. He subdues enemies. And he reigns and conquers for the glory and honor of Christ's name. We're looking back. But as we look back to Haggai, we see the unchanging purposes of God. Dear child of God, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to take your eyes off all the troubles and take your eyes to heaven to see Christ on the throne and then look back to this earth's troubles, remembering that first you saw Christ on the throne. He is the king. He reigns and he will infallibly do all his good pleasure. And in light of that, may we be encouraged to go into the world, to preach the gospel and to pray for God's blessing. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.